0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to 2024 and Small Biz Matters People Policy Purpose. It's great to be back in the chair. I hope all you small businesses had a successful Christmas and if not, a restful one because everyone knows things are pretty hot at the moment in the small business space. I hope you had a chance to rest with your family and if you uh, have a busy period over Christmas that it was hugely successful as well. Lots of small businesses in the country at the moment are suffering from headaches and difficulties and the pressure of red tape and that's what we're discussing today with our guest Kate Carnell AO. There are few people in Australia with more experience in that small business policy advocacy and purpose space than Kate Carnell. Her resume as a community leader is impressive. Aside from a long career in politics and policy, Kate for five years fiercely fought for all small businesses as the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. Prior to that, she was the CEO of the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry and for many years the head of the Pharmacy Guild. Now she offers her advisory skills and experience as a director and chair on numerous boards in the tech, the startup, the social enterprise, in issues she cares most about, small business, mental health, to continue to improve the lives of countless small businesses around Australia. So who could possibly be better to discuss the future of small business advocacy in 2024 and beyond? I sat down with Kate to ask her what the future holds for advocacy in the current political landscape, if anything can be done to improve government's consultation with small businesses before policy is set in stone, and whether the colour of a party in power actually makes a difference welcome to small biz matters a show where we are dedicated to empowering small businesses and advisors to engage with policy and advocacy why because what government does very much matters to all small biz good and bad Sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office, each week we sit down with experts, advocates, business leaders, policymakers, and politicians to dive into specific areas of government policy that affects your clients and your business. We'll give you the heads up on what's coming down the policy pipeline, find out who's fighting in your corner and empower you with ways you can influence those decisions which affect your business every single day. We proudly broadcast live on our local community radio station, Triple H 100.1 FM, the Community Broadcasting Network, and later wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's hear from this week's expert on Small Biz Matters: people, policy, purpose. So let's launch straight into questions, Kate. And again, it's uh, it's delightful to have you here. So the reality is, much as we'd like to say that red tape needs to get out of the way of running a small business, the reality is it's always going to be there. And I don't think it really matters which government's in power or whether you're thinking of local, state or federal. That's the reality. But realistically, is there anything that can be done in terms of thought leadership, you know, governments in power? What can they do to think bigger about really de-regging and, and, and removing red tape. Is that a reality or is that just high in the sky thinking and we're not going to get there? Well,
1: look, I think we've all been talking about this for a very, very long time. Now, I was in politics 20 years ago and we set out to reduce red tape. You know, My background was running small businesses, so I knew personally the challenges involved. And I have to say it is incredibly difficult. Um, but the thing that's really important is for us to continue to convince or to make governments understand at all levels what small business is like. Hmm. That business isn't business, if you know what I mean. Big business is not the same as small business. Medium-sized business isn't the same as a business with 20 employees. And a micro business or a sole proprietor is different all over again. And I think it's important for us to continue to put in front of of legislators at all levels that, you know, think about the majority of small businesses have less than five employees. In fact, the vast percentage are 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 sole proprietors. So how would those people put in place the legislation, the regulation that is being proposed. And I think right now, we're really seeing that with industrial relations changes. You now, we've known for a very long time that it is incredibly complex to employ people because the the huge number of awards, the, the different levels of awards, the challenges in the space are really, really complex. And I think one of the things that uh, has shown that, and it's hard to work out how government hasn't worked out, that the, the large number of big businesses who have got it wrong who have ended up on the wrong side of of industrial relations uh, requirements. The ABC, um, you know, large consultancy firms, um, Woolworths, Coles, you know, the list goes on. These are people who have got full-time HR areas and they still can't get it right. How are small businesses supposed to do it? And now we've got a very large piece of new legislation that is supposedly going to hit the federal parliament uh, this year. Um, and that will make it just that much harder.
0: And that's, I guess, the concern. How do government, how do small businesses see what's coming down the pipeline? I mean, it just feels as though when you're running a business, it's wave after wave of change. You've barely got your handle around the latest changes in the modern award that you looked at last July mm-hmm. or changes to the, the award or, or maybe in, in implementing something about the respect at work or sexual harassment, and then you're on to the next thing. Is there realistically anything small businesses can do to see into the future to be prepared for this because they don't have that area of expertise in their ranks?
1: Look, they don't, but it does mean that they've got to be involved in their industry associations, in their local chambers of commerce or, you know, whatever, whatever is appropriate for them in their local areas because individually you can't do it, just not possible. So your industry association, local business group, That's their job Mm. is to distill changes that are happening and to attempt to communicate that in a method um, that small businesses can understand and is useful to small businesses. So I must admit, as much as I know lots of small businesses don't join anything, I think it's absolutely essential that they see that as an essential part of doing business because you simply can't understand all this stuff without
0: that. And you can't prioritise. I think that you can feel very quickly, very overwhelmed. But every business is, is at a different phase and nobody really understands that better than your association. And they often have great mentoring programs so people who have been through it or in your area of expertise can help you. But you're right. They ha- you have to see it as a business expense just like insurance, just like your accountants, just like your software fees. And an
1: essential businesses, um, business expense just like your accountant or, or, or insurance. Because it's really too hard to navigate uh, the huge amounts of of red tape requirements and so on that government have without that
0: help. Do you worry? I mean, we've talked about industrial relations and I think the biggest thing I hear from small businesses, it is so hard to start to employ someone, to begin to understand that, and then they fear growth because they think they're going to get into, uh, you know, the realm of having to pay payroll tax and there's almost impediments there for growth. Mm. If we put industrial relations aside, is there still a whole lot of other red tape that they still have to navigate as well?
1: Oh, look, so there's, there is a huge, huge amount. You know, I was um, involved just just recently with, uh, in the hospitality space. As you know, people who serve alcohol have to do a course, you know, on the ser- responsible serving of alcohol. Good news is it's different in every single state. Excellent. Um, so that somebody who's done responsible um, you, uh, uh, serving of alcohol in Queensland, when they come to New South Wales, guess what? They have to have another course in responsible serving of alcohol and so on. Now, um a particular person I was dealing with had asked the person whether they'd done the course and they said yep, yep," (laughs) which they had. Yes. Except they'd done it in the wrong state.
0: But isn't that a really obvious place where we can... Consolidate the thinking. I mean, we don't live in a in a centri- in a teeny weeny little singular space anymore. We all live in a global world. We all trade globally, and we certainly can have people working for us in other states or people coming to us from other states. It's a it's a very mobile industry and a, a mobile workforce as well. So, isn't that an obvious place to start chipping away at that? You know,
1: it's why I raised that one because you would think it'd be simple. The problem is that the different legislation in different states. Determines what responsible use of alcohol looks like. So, what you have to do to serve alcohol Why? is different. Well, it, that's the point. <laughs> Are they different humans in different states? Um, is responsible use of alcohol different in different states? Well, obviously not. So, I think when we think about little things that shouldn't be difficult, it's look, focusing on those real things and say, okay, we need to change this. This is fundamentally silly. And a lot of things like responsible use of alcohol is, you could argue, is common sense. But you know, it's important for people to understand who are serving alcohol, you know, what that looks like. But you certainly shouldn't have different laws in different states. You certainly shouldn't have a scenario where that course is not, uh, um, cannot be, um, uh, cannot cross borders. Mm. The other thing that we've, we've really got to do is make sure that, that um, registration in a whole range of things, registration, um, training to do jobs more broadly, you know, whether it's apprenticeships, traineeships or whatever, are recognised across state borders. Efforts have been made in that space and it's better than it used to be. But I tell you what, we're not, we're not there yet.
0: And is that something that Jobs and Skills Australia is looking into? Harmon, not I don't want to say harmonising because it's such an overused word, but I think it's mutual recognition, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Put
1: simply, that's yeah. that's that's what we're talking about. Yes, they are, but it's taken an incredibly long time. And um, when we've got skill shortages, as we've got you know across the board at the moment, um, then if ever there was a time when we've really got to recognise training um, that's been done in other places. Or where people have got, um, who have, where where people have worked in an industry for a long time, and so have the skill sets, so that those skills can be recognised um, in any state is uh, is logical and must happen. Yes. So yeah. it's you know look, the, there's a range of things that can happen that are doable, and I think again we come back to industry associations to all of us putting pressure on um, local councils need to really focus on that, I yeah. have to say. And a lot of this is state government, not federal government.
0: Yes. And understanding those different levels of government is almost part of how to try and navigate it, but also how to try and fix it in terms of advocating as well. Um, you, you mentioned before the, um, the, the importance of professional associations do they sometimes work together to get something across the line because sometimes they compete with each other don't they but oh, yeah. do they ever work together you know as a, a united force to push and and how does that work is it successful in your mind in government
1: Um look it's certainly true that industry associations compete for members there's there's no doubt that that happens because you know they they all uh, need dollars to to do what they do but My experience is lots of industry associations work really well together Mm. on particular issues, you know, such as industrial relations legislation, such as the skills space um, and so on, particularly in the um, small to medium business space. You know, the big end of town is a little different simply because they're big and they've got lots of resources in the space. But um organisations like Cosboa, the Australian Chamber, those sorts of entities, even if they compete on a day-to-day basis, when it comes to the crunch in things like the industrial current industrial relations legislation and so on, they they are working together on behalf of business, which you know if they didn't, they wouldn't be doing their job.
0: yeah, and it's it's I think it's really important to note here that that that's that's quite that's got a lot of influence on government when they come together like that. But it's not as though they're working, against workers. They're actually, I mean, I think for small businesses, they're working with the idea to be able to employ more people. They want to be able to look after. They want to be able to do the right thing. But literally understanding every facet of what the right thing is, you need to have a degree.
1: You need to have a degree and then, you know, even big businesses get it wrong all the time because it is so complex, Um, which it shouldn't be like that. It Mm. really, really shouldn't. Some of the problem, you know, is that legislation um, tends to just think about business. So it talks about business needs to do these things, but it, it doesn't. we don't have legislation on the whole that is about small business no. or medium business. It's just business. Yeah. So it's always going to be far too complex for the 97.5% of businesses in Australia that have t- less than 20 employees.
0: Do you think that's the answer, though, to have a different set of entirely different set of rules and regulations we, we know about carve outs we know that if in the event of a you know breach in privacy if you're under 3 million at the moment you don't have the same rules and regulations or penalties that a larger business has do you think that part of the solution needs to be having more caveats or different rules and regulations for small business or is that tipping point then become a problem when you grow uh, look, it, it, it certainly means when you grow,
1: you will need to have um, take on board probably more regulation as you get bigger. But the reason there should be small business legislation, legislation that's aimed at the less than 20 or, you know, Less than ten million dollar turnover. Whatever you decide to to do is because they are actually different. They don't have an HR area. They don't have in-house counsel. They don't have any of these things. So to have laws that are really regulations and laws that are really complex to implement is, by its nature, impossible for those little little businesses, and it gets in the way of them growing their businesses. Because phew, how do they know what to do? Why isn't it just too scary? I'm I'm a sole proprietor. I'm doing really well. Um, I really need some staff, but I'm but yeah. No, I'll just keep. I'll just keep little.
0: I'll just keep small. If you've just joined us, we're here listening to Kate Carnell, AO, who is the expert in my mind of all things small <laughs> business, hugely decades of experience, not only working as a legislator, but also, um, also working with small businesses as the small business and family enterprise ombudsman. We're going to take a short break here on Triple H. And when we return, we're going to ask Kate a few more questions about what it means to grow and how you can be better, uh, how you can better understand what regulation means for you and your business. We'll be back after this. Thank <music> This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Aspifio assists, advocates, and provides information to Australia's 2.5 million small and family businesses when and where they need it. Aspifio delivers practical and actionable advice and research to governments on how to improve policies and legislation. Since its inception, Aspifio has responded to over 40,000 requests for assistance from Australian small and and family businesses, and provides access to dispute resolution services, including assistance with disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticulture, and oil codes. Aspifio also connects small and family business with mental health support should the need arise. As an independent advocate for small business owners, Aspifio is committed to ensuring that Australia is the best place to start, grow, or transform a business now and well into the future. See how Aspifio can support you at asbfeo.gov.au. Well, welcome back to Small Biz Matters. If you've just joined us, we are interviewing Kate Carnell, AO, who is an expert in all things small business, but importantly, the impact that government legislation, regulation, red tape, whatever you want to call it, has on small business with decades of experience, including being the small business and family enterprise ambiance here in Australia. So, Kate, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about regulation and how you can have a better handle on that and see what's coming down the pipeline, perhaps educate yourself and be aware of what the government is doing, because ultimately it's going to affect your business. Now, in the last few years, one of the things that the federal government has tried to do is create a deregulation task force. Do you think that sort of mechanism is effective? And does the federal government really have enough power or scope to be able to impact what the state governments are doing in such a way that it ultimately is going to help small business on that individual granular level? Look, the experience is uh, they haven't been all as ex,
1: as successful as we'd like them to be. I think just about every government at all levels have had a, you know, a, have had a deregulation task force or a red tape task force, and possibly haven't achieved as much as we'd like. But you know, some of that's our fault. And governments forever say, "Give us examples." Yes, you know, you case you studies. forever say, you yeah. you you always tell us, you business people, that there's too much red tape. Could you actually give us examples of what? The problem is. And of course, the problem is often often cumulative, like it's not one thing, it's all these things. That said, you know, it's really important for us as business people to feed into this into the system, to tell people, whether it's the actual task force itself or our our local industry association or whatever, look at this thing that's driving me crazy. The the case study is absolutely fundamental. Mm. Governments, I believe, want to fix this, want to fix stuff. Um, but on the whole, because they don't understand it, they don't understand what it's like to be a small business person, or they don't understand these individual things. They It ends up being far too high level. And in reality, what it's got to be is all these case studies, all these things that small businesses you know, are, are having to comply with that aren't aren't necessary, let's be fair, just aren't necessary at small business level.
0: Yeah, and it's not helping them grow their business, not helping the economy, it's not helping them create jobs or or look after their community, which they all want to do. And it's very interesting what you're saying there because I'm hearing you and I'm thinking maybe that's a way that a small business can, in a practical way, be part of the solution. So who do you go to if you've got this painful situation happening and you can see the craziness of it, um, who can you go to to say, look, how can I get my voice heard? How can I get this case study to make change? Because it does make change, doesn't it? Sometimes yes. you can hear about really specific stories and it will make a difference. So what can that small business owner do? What's their pipeline of information to get it up to the right people?
1: Well, well there's a number of ways, of course, and, of course, your your, your local industry association is, is, a, is a really good one, but so is your local Member of Parliament, you know, both at state and federal level. That's what they're there for, local councillors. Um um, you know there's there's good ones and not so good ones, I'd have to say, but look, on the whole, there are people who are in those jobs because they actually want to make a difference in their local communities. That's what they're there to do. That's my experience. and they're committed to it. So if you can show them things that you know they could let's say your federal member of parliament could stake could take to the task force, here is an example. I'd be incredibly surprised if they didn't.
0: And you could have a multi-pronged approach. So you could explain that situation to your member association. Yep. Yep. You could try and explain it to your local council. And so, who are those people? Obviously, your member association is just giving them a ring. I mean, hopefully, you've yeah. got a good enough relationship. You can pick up the phone. But if it's your local council, not all of them have an economic development officer, which, in my opinion, should be compulsory because yep. all of them have businesses to deal with and an economy. They yep. should all be. Having they all that. should have them. They yes. should all have them, right? Um, but that's not always the case. So councillors are one thing, but we also know that they're particularly overworked. So if we take council, for an example, what's your inroad? Is it just the helpline and you just keep harassing them?
1: Look, I wouldn't. I think the helpline's really important, but I think you go to people who want your vote fundamentally, so it's actually local councillors. If you've got a local councillor who has focused on your area, you know, letterbox drops when when it comes to council Precinct meetings, heaven forbid. Yeah, precinct meetings um, matter, but trying to get to your local... The local councillors that are high profile in your particular area um, is, in my view, the way to go. Those people want you to vote for them. Guess what? Then, you know, the other side of it is uh, them being um, proactive or um, helping you with things that you need to be done. And I have to say, quite often, I think councillors are always pleased when something isn't a planning problem.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, <laughs> give us something fresh to do, something um, new and different, and
1: something that we can actually, you know, yeah. um, get get our teeth into. I suppose, you know that And I'm going to say,
0: as an advocate, keep the media in your back pocket. Yes, always, always, and just make friends with people who you think have got a loud voice in your area as well. Yep. Um, I I always say when people have got when they're experiencing something, when they're going through the pain of it, write it down. I mean, isn't that a bit yeah. of a CBT thing anyway yeah, with it psychology? Is. But get it out of your system, be as as specific as you possibly can because two years down the track, maybe when it happens again, you've at least got an email or something that's date and time stamped and then you can use that again and again. If it's something you're passionate enough to try and make a difference with, then get it out there. Now I know that the ombudsman and groups like COSBOA and industry associations, they're always looking for case studies. Yes. So sometimes sending in through those channels can also be useful, certainly the ombudsman because they've got um, powers. If you've got a
1: a problem, you know, you've got a a conflict or an issue like that, the small business ombudsman is the place to go, but they've also got policy areas, just as does COSBOA. You know, if you're a hairdresser, the hairdressers association, you know, there's lots of associations around. Um, Go to them with real examples is the story. So just back to the ombudsman's role, often quite small disputes can be really big if you're a small if you're a small business somebody hasn't paid you you know somebody has produced something that is just not fit for purpose for you. you know the, trying to do that through the court system huh, you know you're going to have paid the lawyer more than probably the whole thing's worth before you even start and it takes too long. Um, the, the Aspifio, the Australian Small business and family Enterprise Ombudsman has a dispute resolution mechanism that uh, doesn't require you to have a lawyer, doesn't cost you any money and they'll actually do the follow-up.
0: So they have a dispute resolution. Your association is your advocate. So they're the ones who will speak loudly for you. That's right. And your parliamentarian is hopefully going to take it to parliament and hopefully make changes. Now, all of those things take time. And I think... As small businesses, we are nimble, we are fast, we are easily adaptable, and we can make changes, we can make decisions overnight in our sleep and then the next morning implement them, which is almost hilarious to think of as a big business doing that, and it certainly is in government. So how do we as a small business community better understand that the wheels of government turn slowly? How do we bring a sense of, I don't want to say patience, but... Without feeling like your time's being wasted because you're like, well, I need this problem fixed tomorrow, but well, it's not it, going to get looked at for six months.
1: Well, look, you hope it's quicker than that, but it won't, but often won't be, is the reality in the space. Um, industry associations and, you know, SBFIO and those entities will will react reasonably quickly, but trying to get government to move mm. is is really time consuming. That said... That's where you make absolutely fundamental change. So it's worth the effort and, again, that's where industry associations and possibly the small business ombudsman and so on come in because that's their job, you know, and they'll keep plugging away at government and that's the other thing that it's really hard for small businesses to do. You can... You know, th- throw your your problem, your issue into the mix, but you don't have time to ring up every day. And by the way, you'll drive them crazy if you do. So you've got a le- You've got to know how to do that sort of that sort of stuff. And industry associations know how you deal with government, what you have to do, how you keep pressure on them, um, how you make sure that they're doing. Let's be fair, what they're paid to do, and that's to represent the community that, mm. that elect them.
0: And they're great amplifiers, really. If you get a group of uh, businesses that you know, again, this is why it's important to network and be part of an association and hear from what your peers are doing. If you get a group of you together, that's even more powerful and then you take it to your association who then represent the group and then, you know, then you've got a real louder voice. But I think that whole feeling of isolation as a small business owner is a difficult hurdle Um, and so I would encourage anyone listening to this who thinks, look, look, I would like to have my problems resolved. I don't know where to start. I think that opening that door to that association is a great place. It is. But I was speaking to someone at a a conference the other day and she's just starting out in the fashion industry. And I said, look, there's a great fashion industry council is a fantastic group. They really understand what you're going through. But before you join, if if you're feeling like it's a large expense, ring them and say, what will you do for me? I'm in this situation. How can you help me? What's my pathway? And in the meantime, have you got any free resources, maybe webinars I can listen to? And they will have. And they will have, exactly. It's a great way to open the door. And they'll have free networking events so you can get a feel for what, for what it's like as well.
1: And it's their job actually to understand what you're going through. Mm. And so they know that people just starting up are cash poor. So they've often got mechanisms to help you. So it, the, the uh, entry fee might be on paper something that seems unaffordable. But when you talk to them, yep. you know, it's amazing what else can happen. They are hugely
0: passionate and they want to represent you yep. and they want to represent you especially because you're the future of their yep. industry. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, Kate, we've talked about that small business perspective and how you can get your voice heard and about amplifying that and working with associations. If we flip it on the other side, how can government – I'm talking about politicians specifically, do a better job of understanding small business. We hear so many times, oh, it's such a hard community to talk to. There's 2.2 million of them and they're all entirely different they all operate differently. And I don't buy that because I think that's a, a bit of a lazy excuse because you can't be bothered, but also because there must be ways that we can change the thinking in government. How can we do that as a community?
1: As a community, I think one of the smart things to do, again, you've got to use your local member because they rely on your vote. So just for a job. For a job. So one of the things I found most useful to do was to ask a local member to open something. Now, the reason that that's useful is by the nature of it, it means one of their staff's got to write a brief, which they've got to find out about your business, and the member has got to read the brief. Um, which immediately gets them to understand, you know, something about your business. So if, if you've just opened a new premises, if you've just put on your 20th employee, you've, just, you've done, got a new piece of machinery that's bells and whistles, something, um, asking your local member and the local newspaper to take the photo, you know, you've got to do it that way, is a very quick and um, inexpensive way of getting your local member to understand your business. And fascinatingly, Regularly get really passionate about, you know, about businesses. So um, members of parliament do things like things like adjournment debates. There's short, sharp speeches in federal parliament that are for oh, six minutes, something like that. And what local, lo- what members do is they talk about businesses in their local. Um, a local electorate, you know,
0: somebody in their local electorate that's turned 100 or, you know, that's what they do. Or a community fair or something, that yeah. some, a Rotarian who's been there for 50 years. It's that sort of stuff. So
1: the the, the trick is if you can get, so if a group of um, Hornsby businesses can get um, their, their local member... To speak, which you, by the way, could because you've got a really good local member, um, uh, about something really special that's happening for small businesses in the area and are willing to write some dot point notes so that the member can do a little speech. You know, those things are incredibly useful. But most A lot of people don't know they
0: exist. Mm, and they're great for your social media and they're great for your profile and your LinkedIn and lots of people will come if you bring a, a Member of Parliament along. Look, we have had a jam-packed program today, Kate, Thank you for giving us lots of really practical things that small businesses can do to get more involved in regulatory situations that, let's face it, impact them on a daily basis. Um, I'd like to thank you for joining us today with all of your decades and wealth of knowledge. And we are looking forward to having you on the program regularly to learn more about what we can do to get involved in policy and have purpose and really support those small business people. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Kate. Well, that was an excellent interview. If I do say so myself, thoroughly enjoyed talking to Kate Carnell with her wealth of knowledge, so much experience to share and so much passion for the small business community. She's got runs on the board, both as the small business and family enterprise ombudsman, but as a member of parliament as well in the ACT and continues to support small businesses with her work on various boards and in, uh, in the social um, situations as well. Who have we got on the program next week? Well, we've got the illustrious and fantastically speaking John Shepard, PSM. He's the first assistant secretary for the Digital Identity Task Force for the Department of Finance. Now, why have we got him on the program? What has the Department of Finance got to do with your business? He is rolling out digital ID. Now, that is a uh, very large-scale project that the government is currently working on. They are taking consultations about it and it's an opportunity to have your voice heard about what it means for small businesses and what the rollout and the implementation and activating it in your business will mean. There's a lot of positives, but with all changes in government, there will be some required practical elements to it as well. Hopefully, it'll be seamless. I have no doubt it will be with John at the helm. We're going to talk about this new piece of legislation and how it's Going to have a direct impact on businesses, their responsibilities as a director in their own company, and how they maintain their data, and also what the legislation cycle with, will be. So this is a really good opportunity to drill down into um, the process of what government takes when they're rolling out such a large piece of legislation. This is going to affect both people and you as consumers in your everyday life, but importantly you as owners of businesses, directors of companies, and uh, how you maintain and look after data on behalf of your customers as well. It's a fascinating discussion pre-recorded in Canberra a couple of months ago. I'm looking forward to sharing you that next week on Small Biz Matters People Policy Purpose. I'll speak to you all next week.